KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. San Diego County now has four new COVID-19 testing sites just for teachers and school staff. The sites are in San Diego, Chula Vista, Del Mar, and El Cajon. The first person to get a COVID-19 test at the San Diego location was Jerome Gurule, a building service supervisor. He says the testing will help schools throughout the county reopen safely. Everybody should before they come back to school to work. That's just my own opinion. I've been wanting to do this before just to get it done so I know, you know, so you don't, you don't give it to other people. The county is opening a dozen testing sites for the general public over the next two weeks. Mayor Kevin Faulkner says a handful of San Diego public libraries will reopen for the first time since they were closed because of the pandemic. Starting tomorrow, the libraries will open at 25% capacity from 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Monday through Saturday. The facilities will close for cleaning from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. daily. To see a list of the dozen libraries allowed to reopen, go to kpbs.org. Thursday was the third anniversary of the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. On October 1, 2017, a man sprayed gunfire from his Las Vegas hotel room into a crowd of people attending a country music concert. 58 people were killed. Survivors are speaking out about the crime and the $800 million settlement approved Wednesday by a judge. Some say life will never be the same. Tiffany Huizer of Orange County was shot in the stomach, the arm, and her hand. She hopes the public doesn't forget what happened. My kids will tell me, um, please don't leave, don't go to the store, don't go out, Mom, I don't want you to get shot. And when your five-year-old tells you that, and they're afraid for you to walk out of the room, it has not been easy. MGM Resorts, which own the hotel and the concert venue, is paying the damages to victims and their families, but they acknowledge no liability as part of the settlement. It's Friday, October 2nd. You're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by everyone in the KPBS newsroom. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
After a positive coronavirus test inside city council chambers, there are questions about how the city business will move forward. At least four council members and numerous city employees were inside the room during Tuesday's meeting. KPBS's Matt Hoffman spoke with a council member about what happens next. City officials say they've told every person who came in close contact with the positive individual to quarantine for two weeks. I was advised by my doctor to wait a few days before I get tested. That includes San Diego City Council Member Chris Kate, who has a wife and two children. I'm away from my wife and my kids. You know, if I do go um, out and about, you know, to get food or whatever else, I'm, I'm, I'm masking up inside my house as well, too, just to be just to be cautious. City Council President George Ed Gomez issued a statement saying officials are in the process of evaluating how to safely move forward with city business. There is a city council meeting scheduled for next week, and some members have already been participating virtually. I don't think the city business needs to be impacted negatively by it. You know, I'm chairing a committee on, on Wednesday. There are coronavirus protocols in place for city employees, like checking temperatures before entering buildings, physical distancing, and wearing masks. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. While everyone is struggling economically during the pandemic, there's a glimmer of hope for San Diego. The effort to transform the old NAVWAR facility in the Midway District has just taken a major step forward, and it could mean thousands of jobs for San Diego. KPBS reporter John Carroll says Governor Newsom just signed legislation to streamline the environmental review process for the project. Jobs, jobs, jobs was the message at Thursday morning's news conference. Jobs that are dependent on the revitalization of the old NAVWAR facility. More than 70 acres containing a series of decades-old aircraft hangars housing about 5,000 workers. AB 2731, co-authored by Assemblyman Todd Gloria and State Senator Tony Atkins of San Diego, allows SANDAG to streamline the environmental review process for the project. In order to build a new cybersecurity facility for the Navy, a new central mobility hub linking various transit lines to the San Diego airport, as well as needed housing units and retail space. Along with keeping the current 5,000 jobs in San Diego, Gloria says the project has the potential to generate at least 16,000 new jobs. Once the Navy's environmental process is complete, and if they decide to move forward with Sandag, construction could begin sometime next year. John Carroll, KPBS News. It's been a summer of racial unrest in response to police killings of black people across the country. Now California is taking small steps to address that. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a handful of bills dealing with police reform. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Newsom approved bills to ban police from using certain neck restraints and allow local governments to increase their oversight of police and sheriff's departments. A third new law would give the State Department of Justice more latitude to investigate police killings of unarmed civilians. The bill was authored by Assemblyman Kevin McCarty, who pushed it for years, particularly after Stephon Clark was shot and killed by Sacramento police in his grandmother's backyard. Lawmakers proposed other police reforms, like creating a process to decertify police and banning the use of tear gas and rubber bullets during protests. But during the chaotic final night of the legislative session, they did not make it to the governor's desk, though lawmakers plan to bring them back next year. In Sacramento, I'm Nicole Nixon. 
Short-term vacation rentals remain a hot-button issue in San Diego. Assemblymember and mayoral candidate Todd Gloria is criticizing city leaders for their inaction on the issue. This comes after our partners at iNewsource reported a dramatic spike in police activity at Pinnacle on the Park, where dozens of units in the downtown high-rise have been used to host pandemic parties. In a statement released on Wednesday, Gloria vowed to take action within his first 100 days if elected. He said his opponent, Councilwoman Barbara Bree, would rather do nothing. Bree responded, saying Gloria has blocked regulations in the past and his campaign is supported by vacation rental companies. For more on this story, go to inewsource.org. Brandon Cronenberg is the son of Canadian director David Cronenberg, the man who gave us films like Videodrome and The Fly remake. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando says you can see the family resemblance in Brandon's sophomore feature film, Possessor. With his first feature, Antiviral, Brandon Cronenberg announced himself as a bold new talent. And his second feature, Possessor, doesn't disappoint. Like his father, David Cronenberg, Brandon reveals a penchant for body horror, cerebral cinema, and unnerving his audience. But despite the shared DNA, Brandon displays a unique cinematic personality. Interfaces active and wordful power. As with Antiviral, Possessor doesn't waste time explaining the creepy science fiction that sets the plot in motion. In this case, we have Tasia Voss, a woman who operates as an assassin by taking over the mind and body of an unwilling surrogate. Oh, meow. The film taps into current anxiety about privacy issues and evil corporations, but more disturbingly, it digs into the human psyche to explore darker questions about identity. Possessor is disturbing and relentless, but in a brilliant and riveting way. Experience it if you dare. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. The coronavirus case rate measures how many new daily positive tests are happening out of every 100,000 San Diegans, but it also determines if restrictions on businesses are tightened or loosened. In a series of stories, KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento traces back to where that data point comes from. President Kennedy's plane has just arrived. President John F. Kennedy visited San Diego just five months before his 1963 assassination. Getting out on El Cajon Boulevard. A photograph captures his motorcade passing by the 24-hour Rudford's restaurant. The community staple has welcomed diners at all hours since that day. But that streak ended in March. Governor Gavin Newsom closed all on-site dining to curb the spread of coronavirus. Well, beginning on March 16th, we let go of 40 people. That was hard to do. Rudford's owner, Jeff Kasha, was forced to only offer takeout. Kasha has since been stuck in a cycle of reopenings and threatened closings based on the up and down of local coronavirus cases. Put in dividers, we have masks, we have gloves, everything's sanitized. Across California, activities like dining in a restaurant or practicing your faith are controlled by coronavirus numbers. KPBS examined the data that's driving decisions in San Diego and found it's riddled with complaints complexities and caveats. I wouldn't say I'm confident down to the last decimal point. Dr. Bill Schaffner is the medical director of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. He says these systems can be imperfect. But pretty close and close enough to make reasonable decisions and to 
assess trends over time. And that system sort of begins with snot. You're going to go about to the mid-level of your nose. Nurse Darcy LeRae walks me through how to shove a swab up my nostril. And you're going to rotate it several times around the wall of your nose. Lab machines will examine the secretion for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's what causes COVID-19. Take it out and then up the other side. My results were negative, but thousands of snot-covered swabs from the noses of San Diegans are transported daily to labs. At Helix Lab, in La Jolla, the hours-long process to get test results begins with a robot named Boots. Boatees, Boatees. Actually, he thinks he's Boatees. That double O gives him problems. But the results he and his machine friends uncover are relayed back to local and state decision makers through a complex and sometimes overlapping reporting network. And it gets a bit wonky, so stick with me. Helix only handles local swabs collected at county testing sites. So Vice President Mark Laurent says they share results with San Diego officials twice. One way is we actually send it back to uh, the operations team that's going to contact the patient. And then to the team that tracks the data that controls reopenings. That's sent by fax. It's ancient, but it's also one of the most uh, safe way to pass uh, HIPAA information. And they send it to a state team in Sacramento. But some commercial labs report only to the state, which automatically passes San Diego results on to the county. And labs report to the health care providers that sent them the test so they can tell the patients. Providers also report confirmed cases to the county. The county declined an interview but said its staff reviews daily results for any duplicates, but some do slip through. Still, San Diego and Sacramento don't always agree on the numbers that may trigger closings. Their calculations didn't match for a bit. Thousands of results were lost in a statewide glitch. And most recently, elected county officials, including Supervisor Greg Cox, wanted the state to ignore positives among San Diego State University students. We have prepared a letter that I'm uh, signing this afternoon to the governor asking them to seriously consider discounting or, or not including the, the approximately 700 cases that we have right now from uh, SDSU uh, students. The governor disagreed. You can't isolate uh, as if it's on an island, a campus community that is part of the larger community. So the answer is no. That looming closure was avoided because the case rate, even with SDSU positives, was below a state threshold. But the back and forth has left Rudford's owner, Kasha, on edge. We we're into our savings. We've overspent. We've made no profit. He worries he can't survive another closure. But the case rate is only announced on Tuesdays. So businesses wait every week to learn if the data is going in the wrong direction. And this past week, San Diego again narrowly avoided a case rate the governor considers too high. That was KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento. KPBS will continue to report on these data point triggers as part of its ongoing series. You can look at all 13 data points using the KPBS trigger tracker at kpbs.org. Coming up on the podcast, the Federal Sedition Act was repealed in 1920, but the San Diego City Council only recently repealed its own seditious language ordinance. That story next, after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, Healthcare and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit p 
pce.sandiego.edu. Sedition is conduct or speech inciting insurrection toward the established order. To be arrested and charged with sedition sounds like a relic from a century ago. That's because the Federal Sedition Act, established after World War I to quell critics of the war and the government, was repealed by Congress in 1920. Yet the San Diego City Council just recently got around to doing something similar this week. Jonathan Markovitz is a staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union in San Diego. He sat down with KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer to talk about the unanimous decision to abolish the city's seditious language ordinance. Here's that interview. We'll start with uh, what the San Diego Municipal Code said about sedition. So it prohibited um, words that have a tendency to create a breach of the public peace in the presence of other people. The heart of the problem with the code is that it flagrantly violates the First Amendment. Um, there is no requirement in the code that the language that's being used will incite violence, um, that it's likely to incite violence, that it is directed to inciting violence, um, or that imminent violence or imminent lawless action is a likely outcome of the, the speech. Um, so it is a ordinance that criminalizes really just pure speech. Um, but the other thing to say about it is that it's an ordinance that whatever the actual words are, doesn't seem to have been enforced in a way that has anything to do with what sedition is traditionally thought of, which is an effort to overthrow the government. Um, sedition, as enforced by the San Diego Police Department, seems to have entailed things like officers who were displeased with um, people who were playing rap music too loud or people who insulted them. Um, there's really good, solid, uncontroverted case law saying that contempt of cop is not a crime. Um, so the, the police for a very, very long time have been arresting people or citing people, I'm sorry, for really nothing more than pure speech. And that is again, just a flagrant violation of the first amendment. Um, one of the things that indicates just how starkly unconstitutional this law is, is that it appears that nobody in city government um, had any interest in defending it. Um, as soon as the Voice of San Diego reported on it, the, the city, pretty much everybody in, in city government seems to have acknowledged that it was unconstitutional, that it was antiquated and that it should be repealed. And so it's great that it finally was. The difficulty with that, I think, is that that only goes for, that, that only affects issues and people going forward. It doesn't affect the harm that the department and the city created by enforcing this blatantly unconstitutional law in what appears to be a racially discriminatory manner for a very long time. Right, there's evidence the law in San Diego really affected people of color directly. The numbers that I've seen are that 30% of the people who were ticketed were were black. Um, African Americans make up only about 6.5% of the city's population. Um, there were dozens of different officers, according to the reporting, um, who issued citations under this law just since um, 2013. So this appears to have really been a 
systematic um, use of an unconstitutional ordinance. And one of the, the, I think, really key questions is, how did this happen? I was just going to say, what precipitated this? How did the law come about in San Diego? The law is is a hundred years old. Um, I think Voice of San Diego has has done some reporting on it. It's a relic of an era in which there was kind of unquestioned sense on the part of many government officials that it was permissible to, to do whatever you could do to quell dissent. Um, and I think that 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 understanding of what government authority was is fortunately, for the most part, a relic of the past. Right. And uh, why do courts allow it here? If it's, uh, if it's against the First Amendment and unconstitutional, uh, why in the world uh, didn't a defense attorney say, hey, uh, raise these issues and, and stop these cases as they went forward? It's a really good question. And I think the answer probably has to do with the fact that the citations were issued as infractions rather than misdemeanors. So that meant that people weren't directly hauled into court. They weren't directly brought into the criminal justice system. And they probably, they may not have had defense attorneys. Um, they, the, the way that I suspect this became a problem, a very serious problem for a lot of the people who were cited um, is if they were unable to pay their initial fines, um, if they were, issued later warrants for that failure to, to pay fines or for a failure to appear in court. Um, at that point, there would have been probably some kind of judicial oversight. But when it was at the infraction level, I think that a lot could really escape judicial oversight. In August, the police chief in San Diego told the officers to stop enforcing the seditious language law. And uh, the city attorney's not got any of these cases anymore. What does that tell you about the department's progress in updating antiquated models of policing that have disproportionately impacted people of color, as it said? I think the fact that there were so many citations issued for so many years suggests that there's very little progress. The fact that the the chief ordered an end to enforcement and that the city ultimately repealed the law is great, but I think it probably has to do with just how openly unconstitutional, blatantly unconstitutional and indefensible the ordinance was. Once the city was called on it and once the police department was called on enforcement, I think they really just had no way to continue enforcing it and and repeal was the only thing that made sense. The fact that this is one of many kinds of biased policing that have been documented in the city in recent years um, by the San Diego State University study by um, Campaign Zero study um, suggests that progress really is probably not the right term when thinking about the police department and racial bias. Um, I think that if we want progress, then this is a step. Um, The city, I think, needs to come to terms with the harm that it's inflicted on the people who were cited here. So I think that it needs at the very least to expunge people's records. It needs to refund any fines that they paid. It needs to look to see if there were secondary charges, failure to appear, failure to pay, um, and expunge those records and make people whole, pay those fines back uh, or return 
any funds to people. Um, but it also, I think, needs to take a serious look at decriminalizing other offenses that should have never been criminalized. It needs to look at, at traffic stops that are disproportionately affecting people of color. It needs to really take decriminalization much, much more seriously. Now, council members didn't want to stop with just overturning this. Uh, they want to investigate why it remained on the books for so long and why police were trained to cite people for seditious acts. Uh, that's pretty important, right? I, I think absolutely. I think that, that, again, this appears to have been a racially biased form of policing. It appears to have been a form of policing that really just targets behaviors that cops found um, or that police found to be unappealing. Um, and there should be an investigation to how this was allowed to happen. How were the police allowed to penalize people for nothing but pure speech for so long? And were they trained to do it? Um, who trained them? What kinds of policies were in place that made this acceptable? All right. And I'll note both President Trump and his Attorney General, William Barr, have urged federal prosecutors to charge those involved in violence at protests with sedition. That's alarmed some U.S. attorneys, even as Trump attacks the integrity of the election with lies about voter fraud. Barr went so far as to suggest Seattle's Mayor Jenny Durkin be criminally charged for allowing a police-free protest zone for a time. What do you think about that? I think that, that we're living in really troubling times and that the federal overreach in seeking to impose criminal penalties on people who are engaged in peaceful protest really strikes at everything that makes a democracy possible. That was Jonathan Markovitz, a staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union in San Diego, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.